When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we tackle your questions on whether or not to shake hands, introducing yourself when you're new to the neighborhood, how to avoid staying with a messy host, and the very traditional and practical issue of tip away when it comes to soup. All that plus a postscript segment straight out of the 18th edition of Emily Post Etiquette. Coming up... Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning, and we're from the Emily Post Institute. Woo! Last and night. you had a night last <laughs> I night. I am drinking the coffee today, but I bet my neighbors are even more needing the coffee this morning. I got home at around uh, 1 a.m. last night, long night, long day. And was very excited to finally hit my pillow. And my poor neighbors, for about four houses down and across the street, all of a sudden the fire trucks started wailing and Ugh. they stopped. And you saw the lights not just pass by to another neighborhood. They stopped and they were really outside our house. Three big fire trucks all there working for about an hour, hour and a half to contain the fire. They did. Everybody was safe. But I admit, at 2.30 in the morning, I was having some etiquette dilemmas as a neighbor. I was like... Do I go outside? I'm watching the firefighters and the police turn people away who are outside. My dog is going crazy. Like, I didn't, I kind of I was having that moment of, am I a bad neighbor if I don't go out and show concern? How do I deal with this? In the end, I decided they're turning people away. They don't want more commotion. You could see the family was safe. So it was just one of those things where I decided not to intrude. But the next morning, sure enough, you know, as I was going to my car, I caught some neighbor's attention, was able to find out what had happened and confirm, yes, they were turning people away. Um, But it was definitely a little moment of just, oh, wait, neighbors in a crisis. How do we rally? How do we support? What's the best thing to do? And I chose to listen to the authority figures and take observance of what was going on. (laughs) Well, I I like that you were thinking about someone else. When I heard the story, I immediately started thinking about you. And (laughs) that's a long night. That's not a lot of sleep to be here in the studio this morning. Yeah, at this time. Yeah, no, it it definitely was. Um, Well, thank you for making it. Thank you for being here. Of course. And I was going to say it also, it kind of comes on the, the heels of what's been a couple of long weeks as you and I actually are preparing something really exciting We have revamped and have a new version of our e-learning program, our Business Etiquette for Professionals e-learning program. And we are so excited because this has been a a good eight to nine, almost a year's worth of solid work. Yeah, it's been a long development project for us. And Mm -hmm. we now get to share it with you. And so we, Dan and I are so excited to announce that next week we'll be launching our program. We are thrilled 
to be able to offer it at a discount. So please, on social media, on our website, look for the codes. If you have enjoyed the business etiquette questions that you've heard answered on this show, you will love the Business Etiquette for Professionals program because it absolutely gets at the heart of problem solving difficult things at work, where it is so crucial to be able to communicate well and solve problems and be that person whose personal skills make you really wanted at a company, valued at a company. Not that you wouldn't be without them, but they enhance it. This is one of those behind the curtains moments at the Emily Post Institute that this podcast sort of allows us to participate in. And as a company, as a family business, the Emily Post Institute is part of a transition that the whole world is going through of bringing content that has lived in print media for almost 100 years into the online space, into a digital format. And some of the content that we're most excited about is our business etiquette content. It's the material that we have the most experience presenting and bringing to people in person and writing about. And it's some of the content we know that people want the most. And when we started to think about online courses and what we would like to offer in that digital space, in some some new formats, the business etiquette material was really the first place we wanted to go. And Peter Post, who really wrote the first edition of the Etiquette Advantage in Business, or or a good chunk of that first edition, has been working on this program for 15 years. My father, uh, Peter Post, uh, my wonderful cousin Dan Post-Senning, and my sister Anna Post have spent years presenting the business etiquette seminar material. And it was so exciting. About eight years ago, we decided to start working on how could we make this more accessible to people. And that's where the e-learning program came in. And the online teach learning world has expanded so much that it was really time for us to update the program, get all of the wonderful courses that people are focused on in business etiquette today ready and presentable and clear and and coming from an Emily Post perspective. And we are so excited that this is really kind of like a, I don't want to say a birth, but this is a launch for us. And, you know, we really are excited in a field that is so rooted in tradition. It is really fun to jump on new avenues of being able to connect with our audience. We get calls all the time. I wish you guys held open uh, open enrollment seminars. And this is our way of being able to get you all the good info that we have and have it be able to be on your time. We get contacted by individuals all the time, and we can't bring ourselves in person to every individual who wants to take a seminar. And this e-learning environment really gives us a, a, a platform, a way that we can do that, that we can offer our business etiquette content to anyone. So please, if you know someone who might benefit from this course or if you think you'd benefit from this course, please check us out on our website, on Facebook and on Twitter. We will be sending out wonderful discounts for our new program. And now we've got some questions to get to. I was going to say, speaking of programs, we got to get back to this one. Let's tackle it. (laughs) You're right. There's so much to learn how to do. Sure, there's a lot to learn, but it's worth it. And learning is easy. One way is by watching others. On every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. And if you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or give us a call at 802-866-0860. This question's titled, No, No, Really, We'll Stay at a Hotel. Dear Lizzie and Daniel, We have some dear friends who live quite a ways from a hotel in their corner of the hills of a neighboring state who wish for us to stay with them and visit them. We did so recently, but their house was a mess. 
Smells, dirt, and just junk were everywhere, even though they have lived there seven years. It is hard for us to stay with them, but they are wonderful people. Salt of the earth, big hearts. We love them. But how would we get out of staying overnight with them? Sincerely, Conflicted Heart. Oh, Conflicted Heart, I feel you because you're right. You do want to spend time. You do want to connect, but you've realized this is not an environment you feel comfortable in. And that is really hard. I applaud you for not wanting to put judgment on them or covertly hire them a cleaning lady before you come. I mean, those are just not the routes to go. Instead, uh, what I think you should do is invite them to visit you. Um, or I, I really like that idea because then it's like, okay, the environment's in control. We can still spend time with them. We're still showing them that we want to spend time with them. Another thing that you could do is say that you'll be passing through and would love to do dinner out or get together, but a stay isn't in the cards this time around. You know, you mentioned that they live in the hills of a neighboring state and that maybe that's a place you do like to visit, but you've, you've said there isn't really a hotel around where they are. So you might kind of say your visit's taking you a little further away from them and you'd love to meet up for a dinner instead. And it's okay also to say things like, you know, like we really wanted to try this place out. And even though it's an hour and a half away from you, we had our heart set on going there or camping really suits us, you know, and obviously you want to be honest. You don't want to lie. So whatever it is that you can work around as an alternative place to stay when you're in that area, but invite them to do things with you and have your gathering that way. I, I love that spirit of controlling what you can control. <laughs> yeah, exactly. O- offer to come do the things that you know you're going to be comfortable doing. I also love that idea of inviting them to come do things with you because you can't control their response. They may or may not say yes. So you've got those other backup plans in mind in case you really want to continue this relationship and that's the only way. The one other thing I'd mention, because this happened to me personally, is really keep your eye on other alternatives. Um, there are home exchanges, Airbnb home away. You might find that there are some options, other places to stay in the area that may or may not provide an alternative for what you're talking about. It comes to mind because I had a a guest from New York staying with me in my little country Vermont home. It happened to be in the middle of the winter and the plumbing froze. Oh, no. And I'm scared to invite this person back. I was filling the back of the toilet with (laughs) melted snow water just to to keep us going. And I'm, I'm... I'm scared to reissue the invitation. I almost want to say, come up in the summertime. By this the doesn't way. always happen. <laughs> exactly. And, um, but, but when we've known that we have house guests coming who have a, a different standard than we're going to be able to provide at the little cabin that we live in, um, there is an Airbnb very nearby that we often suggest to people, and it provides a really nice alternative. So the other thing I'm thinking, and I hadn't thought of doing something like a home exchange or, a, or renting a private house. If you did that, if there are ones available, you could say, hey, do you guys want to get away for a night and invite them to come stay with you at that Airbnb or at that home away house? And that's just one way of doing it. I would also say the last thing I want to say is that, you know, I think you're going to be okay by continuing to entertain invitations to do things that aren't a stay over at their house. And then when they do ask for the the overnight stay and invite you for that, deflecting that or saying that you'd love to do it a slightly different way is fine. But I think because you're going to try to invite them to your house, you're going to try to encourage them to get together with you just for a dinner in the area or something like that, that you have a better standing to be saying no to those overnight visits. It doesn't look like you're saying no to everything. You're still reaching out and suggesting stuff. I think it won't be as noticeable. Yeah, absolutely. And I will add a final thought to the final thought, which is that um, sometimes the heart of good etiquette is taking a hit for the team. 
<laughs> and there might be a part of you that says, you know, this isn't what we would choose. This isn't the way that we're the most comfortable. But for the sake of this relationship, for the sake of not raising a very awkward and difficult question, like I'm uncomfortable in your home, in your home that you might just say, you know, I'm going to take it. I can do that for a night and it's worth it to maintain and sustain that relationship that's so important to me. They're far enough away that a visit really makes more sense with an overnight and I've looked at the other options they're not possible and you know we all we all get through things that are a little difficult for us and this relationship might be worth it. That is definitely one option to entertain. So we hope that gives you a few different routes to go. Um, And mostly we hope that you're able to continue this friendship because it sounds like it's one that you really truly value. Conflicted Heart, thank you so much for writing in. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. This question's titled, New to the Neighborhood. Good morning, Lizzie and Dan. I love your podcast and have enjoyed binge listening to all of the episodes over the last few months. The gym and my commute have become much more enjoyable with you two keeping me company. Well, we are so glad to be with you there. I'm glad one of us is working out because I am not doing it right now. Later this month, my husband and I will be moving into our first home, and we could not be more excited. We'll be living in a cul-de-sac with about 10 other houses. My question is, do you think we should go door-to-door introducing ourselves? I'd really like to build friendly relationships with our neighbors, but I don't want to impose on anyone at their home. Should we wait for them to come to us? We'll be moving in a few days before Halloween, so I'm wondering if it would be better to walk around Halloween evening with the expectation that many will be home then. What are your thoughts? I don't know if this makes a difference, but my husband and I are in our mid-20s, and I think the majority of our neighbors are young families and empty nesters. Thanks, Katie. 
Oh, Katie, congratulations on being a new homeowner. That's exciting. It really is. I, I, I will spare all the advice that will flow <laughs> about being a new homeowner, but I will answer the, the particular question that you asked. I think it shows such forethought and such care, and I really appreciate it. I think it's a great idea to go around and introduce yourself to your new neighbors. I think that the, the idea that you suggest of just going door to door is perfectly appropriate and acceptable. That's not an imposition to, to walk up to a front door and knock and introduce yourself. Once upon a time, this was not only um, good etiquette, it was absolutely expected. It was the etiquette. The very idea of a calling card was the card that you left when you called on someone, when you went to their home and presented yourself mm-hmm. and asked to be met. And the, the whole protocol for how that card was received really indicated quite a bit. And whether that visit had been announced ahead of time or whether the person who was in charge of the home actually came out themselves in person to receive your card or whether it was left for them. These were some of the most important questions in etiquette. Today, it is a much less formal situation. You are in really good shape to do it any way that you like. You could do it Halloween night. I think that might be a night when people are a little distracted. You're definitely likely to catch a lot of people, but you're not likely to get their attention in the same way that you might with a visit at a different time. Well, and my question is, so wait, on Halloween, are you going to be the people going around dressed up with like face paint on introducing yourselves? Are you going to be the people then not dressed up going around and just introducing your... I'm thinking Halloween actually might not be the best Although night it could it. be hysterical. They're going to be there, but... D- done with a little good humor? You maybe- might decide that's exactly what you want to do. Maybe you could wear like, like sign, you could go as yourselves, but wear signs that say new neighbors 18 or, you know, like put your address on it or something like that. <laughs> like <laughs> Dress up in Victorian garb and present a, a little faux calling card. I mean, now, now, now we're, we're, we're starting so to get you know, into the I real just etiquette totally geek territory. On this side of the studio. No, Dan, no. <laughs> um, I spent a long time talking about how this was sort of, sort of original traditional material because it is so important. How you initiate these relationships um, gives you a real opportunity to start to build and grow the kind of community that you want to live in. And it's a, a, a particular formality that I don't think is always observed these days. And it's one that I think by embracing, you're really going to set yourself up well. A thing to think about as you're presenting yourself is inviting people to a housewarming. That if you have a a small get-together in the afternoon and you welcome people to come to your home, it's a great way to to both present yourself but also provide an opportunity to start to extend and grow that relationship without imposing in the moment. A couple thoughts that I want to give just for the idea of doing it on Halloween. And that's bear in mind that this is a night where people are – there's a lot of turnover at the door very quickly. You know, it's it's trick-or-treat. Oh, you're awesome. So great. Here's a Snickers bar. Okay, bye. You know, it's very quick. A lot of the times when you do that first initial hello, there is kind of a conversation that if time warrants, that that happens. And I think a lot of neighbors might feel very distracted having all the trick-or-treaters coming and going when they want to actually give some attention to, oh, hi, welcome to the neighborhood, that sort of thing. So just depending on how busy the street is that night, I might think about that. But my thought would be go around ahead of time. Go around as soon as you're in. You might meet some people as you're moving boxes in. That's often a time we suggest that new neighbors come over and just say hi. You know, as long as you're not seeing someone carrying a really heavy couch or armor dresser in, you know, you don't want to do it when you're going to obviously impose on a, on this moving in neighbor. But you don't be surprised if as soon as you start, you get to the street, if other neighbors start coming to you and making that introduction. I would also say that when you do choose to go around and introduce yourself, 
Hours that are really good are late afternoon, early evening. Just before supper time is often a good time. Have a card on you that has your names, what house you're in. I mean, typically they're going to know it in a 10-house cul-de-sac, but it's just nice if you want to provide a phone number, an email address, a point of contact that's not just come over and knock on the door. That's a really nice thing to do, too. I love Dan's idea. Schedule a housewarming and then actually issue some invitations and say, we'd love to have you over or, you know, come with that invitation in hand and present it to them when you introduce yourself. But I would say if you if you can find the time before Halloween during this move to do it, I think to take opportunities when you see them. Someone's in the yard. Walk across the street and introduce yourself. But if you haven't yet gotten to those closed doors where you haven't seen people out, it is okay to go give a knock. And if they're not home, uh, leave a note. Or if they're busy, just hand them your, your kind of new-aged calling card. Katie, we really hope this helps and that your entree into this new neighborhood goes smoothly. Good luck meeting the neighbors and enjoy your new home. But there's more. What's that? More questions coming up, but first a word from our sponsors. Here, let's try another trick. Our next question is titled, Not So Pleased to Meet You. Hi guys, I absolutely love the show and I need your help. I work at a flooring store and quite often we will have potential vendors come in and try to pitch us their product. Recently, I was interrupted by one such person, which was annoying, but that's actually not the issue. This person appeared disheveled, sweaty, and had visible dirt under his fingernails. Is there a polite way to decline a handshake? I shook his hand, then went straight to the ladies' room after he left, but I really didn't want to make that contact. Germophobia is a real thing, right? How do I handle this politely, yet clearly and firmly? Is that even possible to do? Amanda. Oh, Amanda, you have asked one of the most difficult business etiquette questions. In fact, it's the sample difficult situation that we use to teach the five-step problem-solving process that's really um, one of the core components of our business etiquette curriculum. And the sample problem that we run through involves an imaginary mix-and-mingle business event where a boss introduces a potential client, and that person who's being introduced to you, you've just watched them sneeze into their hands, and they present that that sneezy hand to you. So it's it's a slightly different version of the question that you're asking, but it's about that very real squig factor of not wanting to come into contact with someone who's extending their hand in a handshake, particularly in a professional setting. I will spare you the, 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 the complete work through of the problem, but I'll tell you that we were facing this question quite a bit at the Emily Post Institute when the SARS um, epidemic was happening, and we were fielding a lot of questions from people who were in business environments, people who were traveling, attending conferences, who were scared, who didn't want to expose themselves to these germs, and they wanted to know how to deny or turn down handshakes. We had to give a consistent answer. Multiple spokespeople for the Emily Post Institute talking to different media outlets and publications needed to be consistent in the types of advice that we were giving. So we had to problem solve this as a family. And we really decided that the advice that we thought was important to, to give everyone was that generally speaking, it is a very serious matter to deny a handshake that the opportunities that we have to physically connect in professional environments are very few. And this is a a gesture that is a, a fundamental part of greetings. And it's a gesture that communicates, I come in peace, I come in friendship. It's got its origins in the Middle Ages. It's about extending a hand that is 
uh, weaponless, <laughs> that is uh, um, welcoming, that is welcoming, and it it's it's an offering, and it's a physical offering that shows your good intent and goodwill. And to turn that down is something that that um, really has the potential to give offense. And you want to think about it really carefully. You want to treat that moment with the care that it deserves. And it is so ingrained in us that one of the exercises we do in our train the trainer program and occasionally in our seminar program when we can is to walk up to someone you extend your hand it is automatic that your hand the person almost can't not reach out to shake your hand so the instinct to go to that form of greeting to engage with it is is absolutely ingrained within us especially in american etiquette and and greetings and I can understand absolutely why you wouldn't want to do that handshake. And I hope you'll understand why we're going to suggest that you do. And I think actually what our listener has done was exactly what you do. And it is the answer to our problem when we come to it. And that is you shake the hand and then don't touch your hand that you've just shaken with to your face. That will prevent you actually getting any of the germs into you. Now, I can't speak to anything that could be absorbed by skin. So I I can't speak to that. But... What I have learned from our work with a flu campaign over the past numerous years is that as long as that hand does not touch your mouth, your nose, your eyes, your ears, you are not going to get those germs into you. Breathing is different. So when we're talking about a cold, that is one thing we bring up. But from just a handshake from someone who shows no signs of being sick, but their appearance is one that makes you feel the way that you currently are. You did exactly what you should do. You should shake the hand and then go wash up with hot soap and water. That refinement step of afterwards cleaning your own hands or going to that hand sanitizer that you keep in your desk or in the bag that you carry with you is an important refinement step because it will help protect you. And we recommend it generally. We recommend it when you're out shaking hands, whether the person that you're interacting with appears disheveled or not. Something I often remind the, the groups that I'm working with is that you really don't know where anyone's hands have been. I'll sometimes somewhat jokingly ask, how many people in this room wash their hands every time they go to the bathroom and everybody always puts their hands up and I say how many people in this room believe that everybody in this room washes their hands every time they go to the bathroom I'll ask people do they touch handrails and doorknobs in public places do they touch the the tray that's on the seat back in front of them in the airplane Whenever we're out in public, we have a certain amount of exposure to germs and germophobia is real. People not wanting to get sick is real. But there are some practices that you can do to protect yourself. Lizzie just talked about them. But denying a handshake is denying people a part of a greeting that's expected. It's denying them respect. It's not participating in one of the rituals that's fundamental to an introduction. And that dilemma that you feel in this situation, when someone enters your place of business and wants to shake hands is not uncommon. People experience it in all kinds of different situations. And the broad advice is that you suck it up and you go ahead and shake their hand. And you do so knowing that you can go sanitize or wash up afterwards. And that's what gives you the confidence to shake that hand without any hesitation. And that's what I love about that is that you have your your refinement. You have your backup plan to go and fix what's worrying you about it. The other message that you can send is you're too sick to be here or I'm too sick to be here. And neither of those messages are messages that you really want to be communicating, uh, even if it's just implicitly or if it's just an implied message. 
Amanda, that is a long answer to a pretty quick and short question, but I will tell you that sometimes when I'm doing this in a group format, we will spend a lot longer (laughs) discussing all of the possible ways that you might handle this situation because it is potentially difficult and it's something that we all encounter. Amanda, we hope that that helps and that you can extend that hand with confidence the next time this gentleman or another like individual winds up at your flooring store. Our next question is called Tip Away. Wait, can I get excited about this? Yes. This is like a really etiquette question. This is a table manners question. And we get a lot of relationship and, and how do I handle this difficult situation? And I just love it when we get some of the finer point etiquette ones. So tip away, tip away. Hello. I really enjoy your podcast. My father taught his children that the proper way to finish a bowl of soup was to tip the bowl inwards towards the center of the table. I assume this is to keep the soup from spilling in your lap. This always made sense to me, but I never see anyone outside my family do this until my sister-in-law commented on it at a dinner. Turns out that she also knew this little table manner. It feels like one of those constrained behaviors that are no longer in fashion. But doesn't it seem, well, practical? So my questions are, where did it come from? Was this at some point the standard form of etiquette? And when did it fall out of fashion? Thanks. Robert from New Jersey. Yes, you absolutely do tip away. Uh, Dan and I, when we teach dining etiquette, talk about scoop away, drip away, and tip away. Dip away, drip away, tip away. Because then it's got a little rhythm to it. Drip away? So you dip your soup away from yourself. You clear the drip off the bottom of your soup spoon on the farce. Scoop away, dip away, tip away. Dip away, drip away, tip away. Just has a nice little rhythm to it. (laughs) If you like. Let me refine this. Dan says, dip away, wait, which, which, dip away, drip away, tip away. I say scoop away, drip away, tip away. Regardless, it's all away. The idea is that when you're eating soup, it is so easy for a drip from the bottom of the spoon to land in your lap or on your shirt. It's also so easy for as you you want to get that last amazing sip of soup out of the bowl. And so, you know, you want to tilt the bowl. And it is it is natural to think I want to tip into me because then you can kind of see it, get a good angle. But what's better is to tip away. You actually still do get a good angle on being able to get that last spoonful of soup. But you also don't run the risk of exactly what our listener writes in about pouring the soup the last bite into your lap, which is really not what you want. Um, You have more of a chance of it just spilling on the table and not launching across to somebody else if you do the tip away. I think the reason why it fell out, uh, why, why people don't know about it as much is because the inclination would be to tip towards yourself. It is, it, I think it's, we, we more naturally would want to do the tip towards, but we're not thinking about what could happen afterwards or what what could be problematic? I don't even know if I'd say that it fell out of fashion. I think it's something that yeah. maybe fewer people are aware of as fewer people have a, a real awareness of formal table manners or even traditional table manners. Absolutely. But it seems to me to be one of those more traditional table manners that that sticks in people's minds. And I think you've identified this as practical advice. And I think that's one of the reasons that um, this particular old school or more formal table manner has has stuck around. It's it's stayed in people's minds. And when I'm teaching table manners, I often emphasize this particular point for just that reason, that there are people who remember their formal dinners from childhood. And this happens to be the point of etiquette that sticks with people. And I, I do think it's that essentially practical nature of the the behavior that makes it so memorable. 
It is. It's so practical and it makes total sense. But it's not your it's when I sit down at a table, it's not my first thought for how to how to get that last bite. So I can understand why in most situations you're seeing people tip towards themselves or just not know the rule at all. But it is one of those little things where when someone tells you all of a sudden you go, oh, wait, yeah, no, that's actually a good a good thought. I should try that. And then you try it and it's not hard. And then it becomes an easy adoption. I That's exactly how I experienced this myself in life. It was not a rule I grew up with. It was not what I knew. Put your napkin in your lap. I knew how to hold my silverware. I did not know tip away until I worked for the Emily Post Institute. Um, it does predate Emily Post. She wrote about it. So we know that it was something that was around. It was a practicality that people used and appreciated in 1922 when she first started writing the book. Robert, thank you for asking a very traditional etiquette question and for giving us an opportunity to reinforce dip away, drip away, tip away. Take care. Thank you for your questions. And if you'd like to send us updates, comments, or salutes, please do so to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also leave us a voicemail at 802-866-0860 or hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette. It looks all right, but what am I supposed to do? That's the question. One of the absolute best things about Awesome Etiquette is we don't do this show in a vacuum. You are always in touch, sharing your advice, your feedback, and the questions that we tackle each week. Our producer, Chris Roberts, is going to give us a sample of some of your feedback. Hi, Chris. Hey, Lizzie and Dan. Hey. Hey. There was a question some time back from a woman who was struggling to maintain all her friendships because she was so darn busy. And I know this issue comes up periodically on the show. And I wanted to get your take on an idea that one of our listeners had in response. Her name is Stephanie. And Stephanie writes... I tend to travel four to five days a week, so I have very limited time for friends and family. I often ask friends if they'd like to join me and other friends, who they may not know, at a bar together, or even at my house. That way, I get to see three to four friends all at the same time. In addition, some of my friends, who previously didn't know each other, actually became friends because of this. I find this to be a great and fun compromise when you're too busy to give everyone individual time. I also hope it isn't rude of me to do this, as I really enjoy these gatherings. Thank you for the great podcast, as always. Stephanie. So she kind of sneaked in a question at the end when she wondered whether gathering all her friends together was rude and... You know, I was wondering the same thing. Is this a good solution, you guys? It's absolutely what you can do. I mean, this is a great way. And just because it has added benefit to our host doesn't mean that it's rude. I really hope that when the time comes, Stephanie's able to give some individual attention because I think some friendships are, are good like that. I'm also Dan's laughing because I happen to be one of those people who values very much one-on-one time with her friends. In fact, almost prefer it. 
And so, I, of course, I'm going to champion for finding a time for that. But I really think this is great. I think you've increased your friends' ability to have friends to support each other with. And I think that's awesome. Um, I like the idea that you're encouraging more people to meet and gather and that you're taking on the responsibility of being a host to do that. So I think your suggestion is awesome. I don't think you're being rude. And I am really appreciative that Stephanie had this idea and decided to write in with it. I wish I had more friends like you inviting me to gatherings with your friends. <laughs> okay, let's drift back to episode 48 and a listener who was getting a divorce and was bombarded with incredibly intrusive questions about her personal life and her soon-to-be ex-husband and the 50-50 custody arrangement they were working on. People were questioning whether the dad could be trusted with that level of custody of their children. A listener, Rachel, came up with what she thought was an etiquettely correct response, and it goes something like this. Rachel writes, she could possibly say something along the lines of, although our marriage did not work out, neither of us could imagine not having as much time as possible with our kids, and we didn't want to deprive them of time with their parents either. I think this would be a good way, Rachel writes, to acknowledge her former husband as a good father though maybe not the best partner for her, and reiterate that this was a co-parenting decision made by both parties, not due to a drug issue or something terrible. I love your podcast, and it is a constant reminder for me to always have kindness at the heart of my decisions. Best, Rachel. Oh, Rachel, I love that you're coming from this place of, hey, this is just we each want to spend the most amount of time with our kids. I absolutely agree that it's a good way to answer it. Our listener might might want to do a dialed back version where she doesn't have to actually say, you know, not due to a drug issue or something like that. I was really surprised that people automatically went. I remember this question and I was really surprised people automatically went to assuming there was this really awful thing that had happened that like. People can't be trusted. Jail time might be involved. It's like, no, 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 no. Dial it back. Our marriage didn't work out. We love our kids. You know, just because our marriage didn't work out doesn't mean we're not great parents. And I, I appreciate the willingness to say, like, hey, let's really encourage our listener to stand up for that. And I love your sample script, Rachel. I yeah. think that uh, as someone who struggles with sample scripts, I appreciate the uh, the care that went into crafting this one. And I hate to get mushy, but one of my favorite parts was... Her reminder to always have kindness at the heart oh, of decisions. I, I just love, love, love hearing that. Okay, I'll, oh, I'll Chris, settle down here. I love here. how much you love hearing that. <laughs> that was like really heartwarming. And finally, there was a question about getting family members who take turns using vacation homes or beach houses. This came up not too long ago on the show to do a better job of keeping them clean. And this caused Lizzie and Dan to drift back to the lazy, hazy summer days of their youth, spending time at Emily Post's vacation home in Martha's Vineyard. It also spurred Taylor to call us with her own family cleaning method or tradition, which involved rocks and sheets. One of the things that we do to make sure that people are doing their part of cleaning is we find large, flat rocks about the size of your hand. And we paint them, it becomes a family activity, we paint the rocks and they stay clean on them. So then at the end of your stay at the cottage, you strip the beds, you put the clean sheets on, and you put the clean rock on it. That way the next set of guests know that the sheets are clean. 
it's a fun little family activity and it might get the listener to kind of start that conversation but also get other people involved with making sure that everyone does their part in keeping that wonderful cottage clean. So I hope that helps. Taylor, thank you so much. That is a really creative suggestion. What I love about it is it gives an opportunity to open that discussion, but open it in a way that is creative and not fraught, that you could talk about a a shared activity or this cool thing that you did. And the physical object that you produce ends up being a little bit of a, a reminder, but also an inspiration to embrace that activity. I really, I really like your idea. Thank you for sharing. Also gives new meaning to the term sheetrock. (laughs) And on that note, we will conclude our feedback section for this show. It's only common courtesy, Chuck. I know, but I couldn't help it. For today's Postscript segment, we're going to jump forward in time from our 1922 edition of Etiquette Reading that we did a couple of episodes ago to the 18th edition of Emily Post Etiquette. Lizzie and I have spent a good deal of time in this book this summer as we're preparing for the release of the 19th edition. And for me personally, it's refocused me on some of our core advice. Anytime we reissue the big book, it really requires a certain self-assessment and a certain uh, look look within at to what the core of our advice is. And I found some inspiration for that at the start of the 18th edition of Emily Post Etiquette, and I wanted to share that with you today. And it's where we outline the, the core principles of Emily Post Etiquette being consideration, respect, and honesty. And we really use those core principles to guide us in the advice that we give in print and on this show. So I'd like to share this reading with you today. It's from the very first chapter, Guidelines for Living. Manners, by their very nature, adapt to the times. While today's manners may be more situational, tailored to particular circumstances and the expectations of those around us, they remain a combination of common sense, generosity of spirit, and a few specific rules that help us interact thoughtfully. And as fluid as manners are, they all rest on the same fundamental principles, respect, consideration, and honesty. Respect. Respecting other people means recognizing their value as human beings, regardless of their background, race, or creed. It's demonstrated in all your day-to-day relations, refraining from demeaning others for their ideas and opinions, refusing to laugh at racist or sexist jokes, putting aside prejudices, and staying open-minded. We show respect not just by what we refrain from doing, but also by intentional acts, such as being on time, dressing appropriately, or giving our full attention to the person or people we're with. Self-respect is just as important as respect for others. A person who respects herself isn't boastful or pushy, but is secure in a way that inspires confidence in others. She values herself regardless of her physical attributes or individual talents, understanding that integrity and character are what really matter. Consideration. The key to consideration is thoughtful behavior. Being thoughtful means thinking about what you can do for those around you and how your actions will affect them. Consideration leads us to help a friend or stranger in need, to bestow a token of appreciation, or to offer praise. Honesty. Honesty ensures that we act sincerely and with integrity. It's the basis of tact, using empathy to find the positive truth and telling or acting on it without causing embarrassment or pain. Actions express attitudes. Courteous people are empathetic, able to relate emotionally to the feelings of others. They listen closely to what people say, they observe what's going on around them and register what they see. 
Courteous people are flexible, willing to adjust their own behavior to the needs and feelings of others while maintaining their integrity. Courteous people are forgiving and understanding that nobody is perfect. They would never embarrass or judge someone for a mistake in form, such as using the wrong fork or introducing people out of order. They don't keep an etiquette scorecard. That last line, they don't keep an etiquette scorecard. On occasion, you hear Dan and I talk about how you get to decide how you act and you can make your decisions based on other people's behavior. But I think more often than not, what we really like to encourage is that you always come from a point that you can feel right about, whether it's your moral and ethical compass or whether it's just what you believe in terms of how you want to operate in the world. We really encourage you to operate from that standpoint when that standpoint can be something that exactly is what you just said, that, that it's not a scorecard, it's not a judgment. And we encourage you to come from that place of consideration, respect, and honesty guiding those actions. Today's etiquette salute comes from, and I was going to say one of our oldest listeners, but it's actually one of our youngest listeners who's been listening for the longest time. Yes. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. Um, first of all, I really love awesome etiquette. I, I've learned so much, and you really brighten my week. And I almost think of you as, like, old friends who I can just listen to. A couple of years ago, my school had a trip to the desert. I got sick and couldn't go. But my dad was amazing and he drove me there the entire six hours there and back. It was really great and I had so much fun on the trip. So, you know, I just want to send a salute out to my dad. Um, thank you, Daddy. I love you. Signed, Simone Kalin, a.k.a. Happy Camper. Simone, we're so glad that you and your father, James, are still listening to the show. I remember getting this little note from nine-year-old Simone and being able to say, hi, Simone, and we were so happy. So you're kind of, in our minds, a character of awesome etiquette, and we are very glad that you submitted this uh, salute for your dad. And what a nice one, too. When someone does go that extra mile for you, literally, it is wonderful to feel that love and support and recognize it as good etiquette. I kind of had a little salute of my own, and I I asked if I could add it. Every now and again, we get an etiquette question that I either, because of time constraints or because of the complexity of the issue and, and, and because they actually provided contact information, I really love having the opportunity to be able to call up the listener or, or respond right away via email, whichever I can, and What I love about living in this time, this place, being afforded this opportunity to do this show is that very real connection that we get with you. And whether it is answering the question on the show or being able to have that moment where we can call and connect with you and you're able to take the time to, to work through and answer a few questions for Dan or I so that we can get a really good, solid, confident etiquette answer to you. Um, it makes all of this work very, very real to me. And I had just this wonderful exchange with a listener last week. 
and I had had a particularly tough day and I was reading her question and had the time and really wanted to get to, to those so some of those follow-up issues in it. And just the exchange was one that, that meant so much to me. And it was just that feeling of, wow, this listener cares and we care. And I wanted to take a minute and say that for me, that is etiquette salute worthy. And I, I just I love I love that this show affords the ability for both of us to be very real with each other and to support one another. She took a moment and told us what the Emily Post Institute meant to her. And I apologize, I am using her and not telling the example because she had asked to remain anonymous. But it was that moment where someone tells you that what you do does matter to them and they appreciate it. And that was something that it just lifted my heart and made me feel amazing. And I'm so grateful for that. And I am grateful that that is you, our audience. And that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something, who reached out, who called, who shared a salute, a comment, or a question. You can send your next comment, question, or salute to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can reach us by phone at 802-866-0860. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. And please help us out. Subscribe on iTunes. And if you feel like it, leave us a review. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner, and our show is produced by the hilarious Chris Roberts. 